Book Two, Chapter Four, Part Two of Love Among the Artists by George Bernard Shaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Four, Part Two. Listen to me, said Jack after a pause, drawing his seat nearer to her and watching her keenly. You want to be romantic. You won't succeed. Look at the way we cling to the stage, to music and poetry and so forth. Why do you think we do that? Just because we long to be romantic, and when we try it in real life, facts and duties baffle us at every turn. Men who write plays for you to act cook up the facts and duties so as to heighten the romance, and so we all say how wonderfully true to nature, and feel that the theatre is the happiest sphere for us all. Heroes and heroines are to be depended on. There is no more chance of their acting prosaically than there is of a picture in the Royal Academy having stains on its linen or blacks in its sky. But in real life it is just the other way. The incompatibility is not in the world but in ourselves. Your father is a romantic man and so am I. But how much of our romance have we ever been able to put into practice? More than you recollect, perhaps, said Madge, unmoved, for constant preoccupation with her own person had made her a bad listener but more than i shall ever forget there has been one piece of romance in my life a very practical piece a perfect stranger once gave me at my mere request all the money he had in the world perhaps he fell in love with you at first sight or perhaps which is much the same thing he was a fool perhaps so it occurred at paddington station some years ago Oh is that what you are thinking of well that is a good illustration of what i am saying did any romance come out of that in three weeks time you were grubbing away at elocution with me at so much a lesson i know that no romance came out of it for you so you think said jack complacently but romance comes out of everything for me where do you suppose i get the supplies for my music and what passion there is in that what fire what disregard of conventionality in the music you understand not in my everyday life your art then is enough for you said madge in a touching tone i like to hear you speak observed jack you do it very well yes my art is enough for me more than i have time and energy for occasionally however i will tell you a little romance about myself which may do you some good eh have you the patience to listen patience echoed madge in a low steady voice try whether you can tire me very well you shall hear you must know that when after a good many years of poverty and neglect i found myself a known man earning over a hundred a year i felt for a while as if my house was built and i had no more to do than to put it in repair from time to time much as you think you have mastered the art of acting and need only learn a new part occasionally to keep your place on the stage and so it came about that i owen jack began to languish in my solitude to pine for a partner and in short to suffer from all those symptoms which you so admirably described just now he gave this account of himself with a derision so uncouth that madge lost for the moment her studied calm and shrank back a little i was quite proud to think that i had the affections of a man as well as the inspiration of a musician and i selected the lady fell in love as hard as i could and made my proposals in due form i was luckier than i deserved to be 
her admiration of me was strictly impersonal and she nearly had a fit at the idea of marrying me she is now the wife of a city speculator and i have gone back to my old profession of musical student and quite renounced the dignity of past master of the art i sometimes shudder when i think that i was once within an ace of getting a wife and family and so your heart is dead no it is marriage that kills the heart and keeps it dead better starve the heart than overfeed it better still to feed it only on fine food like music besides i sometimes think i will marry mrs simpson when i grow a little older you are jesting you have been jesting all along it is not possible that a woman refused your love it is quite possible and has happened and here he rose and prepared to go i should do the same good service to a woman if one were so foolish as to persuade herself on the same grounds that she loved me you would not believe that she could love you on any deeper and truer grounds said madge rising slowly without taking her eyes off his face stuff wake up miss madge and realize what nonsense you are talking rub your eyes and look at me a kobold a cyclop as that fine woman mrs herbert once described me what sane person under forty would be likely to fall in love with me and what do i care about women over forty except perhaps mrs herbert or mrs simpson i like them young and beautiful like you madge as if unconsciously raised her hand half offering it to him he took it promptly and continued humorously and i love you and have always done so who could know such a lovely woman and fine genius as you without loving her but he added shaking her fingers warningly you must not love me my time for playing romeo was over before you ever saw me and juliet must not fall in love with friar lawrence even when he is a great composer not if he forbids her and she can help it said madge with solemn sadness letting her hand drop as he released it not on any account said jack come he added turning on her imperiously we are not a pair you and i i know how to respect myself do you learn to know yourself we two are artists as you are aware well there is an art that is inspired by nothing but a passion for shamming and that is yours so far there is an art which is inspired by a passion for beauty but only in men who can never associate beauty with a lie that is my art master that and you will be able to make true love at present you only know how to make scenes which is too common an accomplishment to interest me you see you have not quite finished your lessons yet good-bye adieu said madge like a statue he walked out in the most prosaic manner possible and she sank on the ottoman in an attitude of despair and finding herself at her ease in it and not understanding him in the least kept it up long after he by closing the door had as it were let fall the curtain for it was her habit to attitudinize herself when alone quite as often as to her people in whose minds the pleasure of attitudinizing is unalloyed by association with the labour of bread-winning jack meanwhile had let himself out of the house it had become dusk by this time and he walked away in a sombre mood from which he presently roused himself to shake his head at the house he had just left and to say aloud you are a bold-faced jade this remark which was followed by muttered imprecations was ill-received by a passing woman who applying it to herself only waited until he was at a safe distance before retorting with copious and shrill abuse 
which soon caused many persons to stop and stare after him but he hardly conscious of the tumult and not suspecting that it had anything to do with him walked on without raising his head and was presently lost to them in the deepening darkness all this time charlie who had been among the first to leave madge's rooms was wandering about kensington in the neighbourhood of herbert's lodging he felt restless and unsatisfied shrinking from the observation of the passers-by with the notion that they might suspect and ridicule the motive of his lurking there he turned into camden hill at last and went to his sister's mary usually had visitors on sunday evenings and some of them might help him to pass away the evening pleasantly in spite of hoskins prose perhaps even but here he shook off further speculation and knocked at the door any one upstairs he asked carelessly of the maid as he hung up his hat only one lady sir mrs herbert something within him seemed to make a spring at the name he glanced at himself in the mirror before going into the drawing-room where to his extreme disappointment he found mary conversing not with herbert's wife but with his mother she had but just arrived and was explaining to mary that she had returned the day before from a prolonged absence in scotland charlie never enjoyed his encounters with mrs herbert for she had known him as a boy and had not got out the habit of treating him as one so hearing that hoskin was in another room smoking he pleaded a desire for a cigar and went off to join him leaving the two ladies together you were saying said mary resuming the conversation which his entrance had interrupted i was saying said mrs herbert that i have never been able to sympathize with the interest which you take in adrian's life and opinions geraldine tells me that i have no maternal instinct but then geraldine has no sons and does not quite know what she is talking about i look on adrian as a failure and i really cannot take an interest in a man who is a failure his being my son only makes the fact disappointing to me personally i retain a kind of nursery affection for my boy but of what use is that to him since he has given up his practice of stabbing me through it i would go to him if he were ill and help him if he were in trouble but as to maintaining a constant concern on his account really i do not see why i should you with your own little dear one a fresh possession almost a part of yourself still doubtless think me very heartless but you will learn that children have their separate lives and interests as completely independent of their parents as the remotest strangers i do not think adrian would even like me were it not for his sense of duty you will understand some day that the common notion of parental and filial relations are more unpractical than even those of love and marriage mary who had already made some discoveries in this direction did not protest as she would have done in her maiden time what surprises me chiefly is that mrs herbert should have been rude to you she said i doubt whether she is particularly fond of me indeed i am sure she is not but nothing could be more exquisitely polite and kind than her manner to me especially in her own house i grant you the perfection of her manners dear she was not rude to me not that they are exactly the manners of good society but they are perfect of their kind for all that hush i think did i not hear adrian's voice that time adrian was in fact speaking in the hall to hoskin who had just appeared there with charlie on his way to the drawing-room aurelie was with her husband they all went for a moment into the study which served on sunday evenings as a cloak-room 
I assure you, Mrs. Herbert, said Hoskyn, officiously helping Aurelie to take off her mantle, I am exceedingly glad to see you. Ah, yes, said Aurelie, but this is quite wrong. It is you who should render me a visit in this moment, because I ask you to dine with me and you do not come. You have turned up at a very good time, said Charlie mischievously. Mrs. Herbert is upstairs. My mother, said Adrian, in consternation. Shall we go upstairs, said Hoskin, leading the way with resolute cheerfulness. Adrian looked at Aurelie. She had dropped the lively manner in which she had spoken to Hoskin, and was now moving towards the door with ominous grace and calm. Aurelie, he said, detaining her in the room for a moment, my mother is here. You will speak to her for my sake, will you not? She only raised her hand to signify that she was not to be troubled, and then, without heeding his look of pain and disappointment, passed out and followed Hoskin to the drawing-room, where Mary and Mrs. Herbert, having heard her foreign voice, were waiting, scarcely less disturbed than Adrian by their fear of how she might act. Mrs. Herbert, Jr., has actually condescended to pay you a visit, Mary, said Hoskin. How do you do, said Mary, with misgiving? I am so very glad to see you. So often have I to reproach myself not to have called on my friends, said Aurelie, in her sweetest voice that I yielded to Adrian at the risk of deranging you by coming on the Sunday evening. A pause followed, during which she looked inquisitively around. Ah, she exclaimed with an air of surprise and pleasure, as she recognized Mrs. Herbert. Is it possible? You are again in London, madame. She advanced and offered her hand. Mrs. Herbert, who had sat calmly looking at her, made the greeting as brief as possible and turned her attention to Adrian nevertheless aurelie drew a chair close to hers and sat down there you are looking very well mother said adrian when did you return only yesterday adrian there was a brief silence adrian looked anxiously at aurelie and his mother mutely declined to look at her but behold what is absurd said aurelie you madame who are encore so young so beautiful here mrs herbert who had turned to her with patient attention could not hide an expression of wonder you are already a grandmother. Adrian has what you call a son and heir, it is true. Yes, I am aware of that, said Mrs. Herbert coolly. A slight change appeared for an instant in Aurelie's face, and she glanced for a moment gravely at her husband. He, with disgust only half concealed, said, you could not broach a subject less interesting to my mother, and turned away to speak to Mary. Adrian, began Mrs. Herbert, who found herself unexpectedly disturbed by the implied imputation of want of feeling i do not think then as he was not attending to her she turned to aurelie and said you really must not accept everything that adrian says seriously pray tell me all about your boy my grandson i should say he is like you said aurelie trying to conceal the chill which had fallen upon her perhaps you would like to see him if so, I shall bring him to you, if you will permit me. I shall be very glad, said Mrs. Herbert, rather surprised. Let me say that I have been expecting you to call on me for some time. You are very good, said Aurelie, but think of how I live. I am always voyaging, and you also are seldom in London. Besides, when one is an artist, one neglects things. Forget, I pray you, my, my, ah, I do not know how to say it, but I will come to you with Monsieur Jean Cisimplica Herbert that reminds me i know not your address mrs herbert supplied the desired information and the conversation then proceeded amicably with occasional help from hoskin and charlie 
Mary and Adrian had withdrawn to another part of the room and were already engrossed in a discussion. In the course of it, Mary remarked that matters were evidently smooth between the two Mrs. Herberts. I am glad of it, said Adrian, not looking glad. I was disposed to think Aurelie in fault on that point. But I see plainly enough now how the coolness was brought about. I should not have blamed Aurelie at all if she had repaid my mother's insolence, I do not think that at all too strong a word, in kind. Poor Aurelie, I have been all this time secretly thinking hardly of her for having, as I thought, rebuffed my mother. Unjust and stupid that I am, not to have known better from my lifelong experience of the one and my daily observation of the other. Aurelie has conciliated her tonight solely because I begged her to do so as we came upstairs. You cannot deny that my wife can be perfectly kind and self-sacrificing whenever there is occasion for it. I cannot deny it? Adrian, you speak as though I were in the habit of disparaging her. You are quite wrong. No one can admire her more than I. My only fear is that she is too sweet and may spoil you. How could I resist her? Even your mother, prejudiced as she certainly was against her, has yielded. You can see by her face that she has given up the battle. I think we had better join them. We have a very rude habit of getting into a corner by ourselves. I am sure, in spite of all you say, that Mrs. Herbert is too fond of you to like it. Mrs. Herbert is a strange being, said Adrian, rising. I no longer pretend to understand her likes and dislikes. Mary made a mental note that Aurelie had probably had more to say on the subject of what she saw in the studio than Adrian had expected. The general conversation which ensued did not run on personal matters. Aurelie was allowed to lead it, as it was tacitly understood, that the interest of the occasion in some manner centred in her. Mrs. Herbert laughingly asked her for the secret of managing Adrian, but she adroitly passed on to some other question, and would not discuss him or in any way treat him more familiarly than she did Hoskin or Charlie. Later on, Hoskin proposed that they should go downstairs to a room which communicated with the garden by a large window and a small grassy terrace. As the night was sultry, they readily agreed, and were soon seated below at a light supper, after which Hoskin strolled out into the garden with Adrian to smoke another cigar and to show a recently purchased hose and lawnmower, it being his habit to require his visitors to interest themselves in his latest acquisitions, whether of children, furniture, or gardening implements. Mrs. Herbert, who, despite the glory of the moon, could not overcome her belief that fresh air to be safely sat in should be tempered by a roof, did not venture beyond the carpet, and Mary felt bound to remain in the room with her. Aurelie walked out to the edge of the terrace, clasped her hands behind her, and became wrapped in contemplation of the cloudless sky, which was like a vast moonlit plain. Her attention was recalled by the voice of Charlie beside her. Awfully jolly night, isn't it, Mrs. Herbert? Yes, it is very fine. I suppose you find no end of poetry in all those stars. Poetry? No, I am not at all poetic, Monsieur Charles. I don't altogether believe that, you know. You look poetic. It is therefore that people mistake me. They are very arbitrary. They say, Mademoiselle Szymplica has such and such a face and figure. In our minds, such a face and figure associate with poetry. Therefore must she be poetic. We will have it so. And if she disappoint us, we shall be very angry with her. And I do disappoint them. 
when they talk poetically of music and things i am impatient myself to be at home with maman who never talks of such things and the bambino who never talks at all what think you do i find in those stars i am looking for aurelie and thecla in what you call charles's wain aha i did not think of that before you are monsieur charles to whom belongs the wain yes i have put my hand to the plough and turned back often enough what may aurelie and thecla be aurelie is myself and thecla is my doll in my infancy i named a star after every one whom i liked only very particular persons were given a place in charles's wain it was the great chariot of honour and in the end i found no one worthy of it but my doll and myself behold how i am poetic i was a silly child for i forgot to give my mother a star i forgot all my family when my mother found that out one day she said i had no heart and indeed i fear i have none heaven forbid look you monsieur charles she said with a sudden air of shrewdness unclasping her hands to shake her finger at him i am not what you think me to be i am the very other things of it i have the sole commercial within me i am glad of that he said eagerly for i want to make a business proposal to you will you give me lessons give you lesson lesson of what lessons in playing i want awfully to become a good pianist and i have never had any really good teaching since i was a boy vraiment ah you think that as you persevered so well in the different professions you will find it easy to become a player is it not so not at all i know that playing requires years of perseverance but i think i can persevere if you will teach me monsieur charles you are what shall i call you you are an ingenuous infant i think don't make fun of me mrs herbert i'm perfectly in er here to his confusion his voice broke with emotion you think i am mocking you she said not seeming to notice the accident i am not fool enough to suppose that you care what i think he said bitterly losing his self-possession i know you won't give me the lessons i knew it before and wherefore then did you ask me because i love you he replied with symptoms of hysterical distress i love you ah said aurelie severely do you see my husband there looking at you and do you not know that it is very wicked to say such a thing to me remember monsieur charles you are quite sober now i shall not excuse you as i did before i couldn't help it said charlie half crestfallen half desperate i know it's hopeless i felt it the moment i had said it but i can't always act like a man of the world i wish i had never met you and why i like you very well when you are good but this is already twice that you forget to be an honest gentleman is it not dishonourable thus to envy your friend if monsieur herbert had a fine watch would you wish to possess it no the thought that it was his would impeach would hinder you to form such a wish well you must look upon me as a watch of his you must not even think such things as you have just said i will not be angry with you monsieur sutherland because you are very young and you have admirable qualities but you have done wrong before he could reply she moved away and joined her husband at the end of the garden charlie with his mouth hanging open stared at her for some seconds and then went into the supper-room where he incommoded mary and mrs herbert by lounging about occasionally taking a grape from the table or pouring out a glass of wine 
at last he strolled to the drawing-room where he was found with a book in his hand pretending to read by the others when they came upstairs some time after he did not speak again until he bade farewell to the elder mrs herbert who departed under hoskins escort aurelie before following her example went to the nursery with mary to have a peep at master richard hoskin as he lay in his cot he smiles said aurelie what a charming infant the bambino never smiles he is so triste like adrian as they turned to leave the room she added poor adrian i think of going to america this year but he does not know you will take care of him whilst i am away will you not mary seeing that she was serious was puzzled how to reply as far as i can i will certainly she said after some hesitation then laughing she continued it is rather an odd commission not at all not at all said aurelie still serious he has great esteem for you madam greater than for no matter what person in the world mary opened her lips to say except you but somehow she did not dare instead she remarked that perhaps adrian would accompany his wife to america the trip she suggested would do him good no no said aurelie quickly he does not breathe freely in the artist's room at a concert he is out of place there my mother will come with me do not speak of it to him yet i know not whether they will guarantee me a sufficient sum but even should i not go i shall still be much away as i have told you i leave england for six weeks on the first of next month you will not suffer adrian to mope and you will speak to him of his pictures about which i am so epouvantably stupid i will do my best said mary privately thinking that aurelie was truly an unaccountable person while she was speaking they re-entered the drawing-room now adrian i am ready yes said herbert good-night mary i think i heard you say that mrs herbert is going off on a long tour said charlie coming forward and speaking boldly though his face was very red yes said adrian not a very long tour though thank goodness then i shall not see her again at least not for some time i have made up my mind to take that post in the connolly company's branch at leeds and i shall be off before mrs herbert returns from the continent this is a sudden resolution said mary in some astonishment i hope mrs herbert thinks it a wise one said charlie she has often made fun of my attempts at settling myself in the world yes said aurelie it is very wise and quite right your instinct tells you so good-night and bon voyage monsieur charles my instinct tells me that it is very foolish and quite wrong he said taking her proffered hand timidly but i see nothing else for it under the circumstances i don't look forward to enjoying myself good-bye mary then went downstairs with her guests but he turned back into the room and watched their departure from the window End of Book Two, Chapter Four. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. End of Love Among the Artists by George Bernard Shaw.